Every division in mixed martial arts has a few dark horses. Fighters that maybe aren't your first pick for the next champion, but that you believe have the capacity to win a belt should the MMA stars align. The 10 fighters on today's list may not even qualify for that status, as their rises to championship caliber were either so sudden or so unexpected that even their biggest supporters had to be in a bit of shock when they finally took the crown. Today we're taking a look at the longest of long shots. The fighters who came either seemingly out of nowhere to defeat a champion nobody ever thought they could, or that had journeys so long and convoluted to the top, it seemed almost impossible that their story would end in gold. It's time to honor the ones nobody saw coming. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 fighters you never thought would be champ. Number 10. Rafael Dos Anjos Sometimes in MMA, we all get in our heads that a certain fighter is the guy in a division. Whether he's champion yet or just recently captured the crown, he's going to have a long and lasting legacy. At least that's the perception. And in 2014, that guy was Anthony Pettis at 155 pounds. Coming in from the WEC 13-1 as the promotion's champion, it was a huge shock and a huge upset when Clay Guida defeated him via unanimous decision. But shortly thereafter, he became the future of the sport everyone had been seeing. Back-to-back -back knockouts of the night leading to a title victory in his hometown against Benson Henderson. He capped that off by defeating Gilbert Melendez. He was quite literally destined for a Wheaties box, having won a contest looking for athletes that represented the future of sports. Long before the Reebok deal, he had his own personal Reebok deal. The guy was on fucking fire. Then crept along Rafael Dos Anjos. Who the fuck is that guy? No fanfare when he entered the UFC. In fact, he had lost his first two bouts. He would lose two more in his next six before going on a respectable five-fight win streak that was thwarted by Habib Nurmagomedov. Then he TKO'd Jason high. He KO'd former champion Benson Henderson. He dominated Nate Diaz for three rounds. He earned himself a title fight. But this was the Showtime era. There was no way RDA had a chance. Sure, he'd put together a respectable eight wins in his last nine fights, but he couldn't Showtime kick. He wasn't going to be on the cover of any cereal boxes. Pettis was a massive favorite, as high as a minus 520 at closing. In reality, though, the champ didn't have a prayer. He lost every round, taken down nine times, controlled for nearly 15 minutes of the fight, 19 legs kicks landed, outstruck across the board. It was total domination. Pettis's Wheaties box would come out shortly thereafter, but the champion of the world was Rafael Dos Anjos. Number 9. Brock Lesnar So on the one hand, yeah, of course Brock Lesnar could become UFC champion. If Brock Lesnar wanted to be president of the United States, I would say he had a good chance only because who is actually going to tell him no? If Duke Nukem were a real person, he would be Brock Lesnar. The guy had a deathly disease in the prime of his MMA career that lasted 8 fights, and he still managed to become UFC heavyweight champion. All jokes aside, though, of course Brock Lesnar was not meant to become a champion. The circumstances were just asinine. Now, yes, he did have a legit wrestling background. The dude was a D1 national champion. That skill set would prove to be a vital base for him in the sport. But Lesnar's rise to the title almost makes no sense at all. Here's a guy who leaves pro wrestling when he's at the peak of his popularity because he wants to go play football, professional football in the NFL, despite having not played since high school. He makes the Vikings team for the preseason, is offered to play Euroball so he can, you know, learn football. Nope, fuck that. I'm going to be an MMA fighter now at essentially 30 years old. And that's what he did. He had one fight at Dynamite USA before the UFC signed him and threw him to the Wolves. Frank Mir right out of the gate. He gets knee-barred, but was doing well prior to that. Next, he just mauls Heath Herring for 15 minutes, and now, boom, he's fighting for a title. What in the actual what? He would face the legendary Randy Couture at UFC 91. Three fights into his career, he'd beaten Min Soo Kim, lost to Frank Mir, smothered Heath Herring, and now he's gonna be UFC champion. Well, yes, actually, because he's Brock fucking Lesnar. In all 
all seriousness though, what an insane thing. No way this sort of rise is ever replicated. Number eight, Amanda Nunes. It's pretty crazy to think that the greatest female fighter of all time, one of the greatest champions in history and an instant Hall of Famer once she becomes eligible, was unlikely to win a title. And yet that is exactly what Amanda Nunes was in 2014. After losing her bantamweight debut to Alexis Davis in 2011, a TKO at Strikeforce Cincinnati, Nunes would move on to Invicta, where she would go one and one, losing soundly to Sarah DeElio via unanimous decision. Amanda would make her UFC debut next and score back-to-back first-round finishes before getting stopped by Kat Zingano at UFC 178, a victory that would propel Kat to her title challenge against Ronda Rousey. It was from here that Nunes would quietly shift to American Top Team and rattle off three straight victories, the most impressive of which being her defeat of Valentina Shevchenko at UFC 196, earning her a title fight at UFC 200 against then-champion Misha Tate. To give you some perspective on just how unlikely it seemed to most that Amanda would become champion, Tate closed as a minus 325 favorite on some sports books. Nunez wasn't given a chance to win this thing, really, and so her brutal demolition of Tate in just three minutes came as an absolute shock. Even after that, though, according to Joe Rogan, some backstage at UFC 207 expected Rousey to destroy Amanda. She still didn't have their respect yet. Well, she certainly does now. From 3-3 and since her bantamweight debut to the most dominant force the women's division has ever seen. Number 7. Jan Blachowicz. Way before anybody knew anything about legendary Polish power, Jan Blachowicz had himself a whole-ass career in KSW. Starting all the way back in 2007, by the time Jan entered the UFC seven years later, he had amassed 20 pro fights, had a career-ending knee injury that required reconstruction, made a comeback, and was defending the KSW Light Heavyweight Championship. His early run in the UFC, however, would not be anywhere near as successful. Blachowicz would lose four of his first six bouts in the promotion. Not exactly championship material. In fact, most fighters would find themselves on the chopping block. But starting in 2017, he would go on a four-fight run of victories with three performance bonuses, only to be TKO'd by Tiago Santos in a title eliminator. That setback, though, would see the birth of legendary Polish power when Jan would score his first KO victory in the UFC against Luke Rockhold. After defeating Jacare next, a first-round knockout of a streaking Corey Anderson skyrocketed Bohovic's stock in the division, earning him a shot at the vacant title against Dominic Reyes at UFC 253. Despite being a massive underdog, again, the legendary Polish power would prove everyone wrong, and a 37-year-old Jan Bohovic, who disastrously started his UFC run after having a whole career elsewhere, was the first light heavyweight champion not named John Jones or Daniel Cormier in a decade. Number 6. Forrest Griffin. Before he had the most important fight in UFC history against Stefan Bonner in the finale of the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, there was no belief, no expectation, that Forrest Griffin was going to be a major star. The quirky contestant was certainly a standout of the season, but nobody could have possibly predicted his everyman appeal as a fighter. You know, if every man was six foot three and completely jacked. But he felt like he was just another one of the guys, getting into the cage with all the heart in the world, but maybe not enough to propel him to the title picture. The first glimpses of his true ability in the eyes of most fans came in his first fight with former champion Tito Ortiz, a razor-thin bout he would lose via split decision at UFC 59. And while he remained super popular amongst fans by 2007, two years after his tough victory, a big loss to Keith Jardine left many questioning whether Griffin was ready for the top tier in the division. That's when he was booked to fight Shogun Hua, a massive betting favorite who was making his debut from Pride, where he had been making a case for the best light heavyweight in the world. But Griffin made it a dogfight from the start and wore the Pride Middleweight Grand Prix champion down, earning a huge upset submission win. His celebration post-fight, one of the most iconic of this era. It was such an incredible moment, it felt like the magic of that tough victory, but on a much larger scale. The fight earned Forrest a shot at champion Rampage Jackson. Again, he would be a heavy underdog. Again, he would prove everyone wrong. Despite getting knocked down in the first, Griffin would completely outpace and outwork the champion the rest of the fight, utilizing effective leg kicks throughout to earn a stunning unanimous decision win and 
UFC gold. A shrug the champion gave the camera shortly after the decision was read, saying everything that needed to be said about both the likelihood of the victory and Forrest Griffin. Number 5. Maurice Smith In the early days of the UFC, if you were a striker, you were pretty much dead in the water. 14 of the first 18 tournament winners were grapplers of some type. The first ever heavyweight champion, Mark Coleman, a D1 national champion and Olympian. If you could only strike, you were probably getting taken down, and from there you were essentially done. Then Maurice Smith came along, an unlikely candidate to change things up, but one that made a crucial decision that would in part pioneer the sport. Smith was, for a lack of a better phrase, getting his ass kicked in MMA. The world champion kickboxer had a record of 6-7 and seven when he was brought in at UFC 14 to be a title challenger for Coleman. The elite striker spent his early MMA career in Japan getting stretched by the who's who of the scene at the time, all of his losses coming via submission, one of which was to Ken Shamrock, who invited him to the lion's den to train. Smith and brother Frank hit it off and would form their own team called Alliance, with Shamrock improving the kickboxer's ground game and Maurice teaching Frank how to be a more effective striker. They were one of the first teams to ever form specifically to cross-train disciplines for the purpose of mixed martial arts. And wow, did that pay off come UFC 14 against Mark Coleman. Despite being a massive underdog, Smith was able to neutralize the godfather of ground and pound's ground and pound during regulation, completely tiring the wrestler out, and leaving him exhausted and unable to defend himself from Maurice's striking in the overtime period. The unanimous decision would be given to Smith in a stunner, and an important step in the sport's evolution had taken place. Number 4. Glover Teixeira There's a certain age cap for a first-time champion, and it would appear to be 37 years of age historically in the UFC. Fabricio Verdum, 37. Jan Bojovic, 37. Michael Bisping, 37. Guess how old DC was? He was 36, but that's pretty close. Then came along Glover Teixeira, the 42-year-old veteran of 40 professional fights. He had been close to gold once before when he exploded onto the scene at UFC 146 in May of 2012, an exile of his native Brazil since 2009 due to visa issues. At 7-2 in his early career, having trained with the likes of Chuck Liddell at the pit, Teixeira was ready to make the move to the big time. But when he was forced to stay in Brazil, he decided to just keep fighting until things were resolved. And so by the time UFC 146 came around, he was one of the hottest prospects in the entire sport at 17-2 with 15 finishes. He would win his first five UFC bouts, scoring four finishes and beating the likes of Rampage Jackson and Ryan Bader, earning his shot at JBJ and the gold. He would come up short in every round on every card, 50-45, a clean sweep. For the next five years, Glover would see setbacks in the fights that mattered and wins otherwise. He would amass five victories, but always lose to the next guy up, it seemed. Phil Davis, Rumble Johnson, Gustafson, Corey Anderson. Then in 2019, the ever-determined Teixeira started a quiet three-fight win streak. Then he destroyed former title contender Anthony Smith and former title contender Thiago Santos to earn his title shot against, as we mentioned earlier on this list, long-shot champion Jan Bojovic. Glover would stun the MMA world with a completely dominant performance, earning gold in the second round after 19 years of fighting. The ageless wonder was the inspiration for our list and certainly earned his spot on it. Number 3. Michael Bisping The story of Michael Bisping is truly a remarkable one because it just seemed like the guy was never going to get over the hump. He would always lose to the guy before the guy. He was clearly one of the best middleweights in the world, but time and time again came up short of even earning a title opportunity. His first and perhaps most infamous such loss coming to Dan Henderson at UFC 100. Bisping was 7-1 in the UFC after having won the Ultimate Fighter. The bout was a title eliminator and, well, you know how this one went. One of the most iconic KOs in MMA history. He would rally back, though, going 5-1 before losing to Chael Sonnen in another title eliminator. From there, he would gain an important win, then lose to a crucial foe to prevent his continued rise. Largely written off by 2015, the count would be given fights like C.B. Dalloway and Talis Latis, both of which he would win. Then the opportunity of a lifetime happened, a bout with the former champion Anderson Silva to headline in London. This was an all-time classic. Despite essentially being knocked out in the third, Bisping would rally to earn a unanimous 
decision and put himself back in the title discussion. As fate would have it, UFC 199 needed a late replacement title challenger for Luke Rockhold. 18 days notice and the count answered the call. Despite being a massive underdog, plus 450 closing on some books, Left Hook Larry would shock the world and knock out the champion in the very first round, becoming an instant legend in the process. It's one of the all-time great fight upsets and the culmination of a career that seemed just as unlikely to get to the top. Number 2. Matt Sarah. Not a single person had any expectation that Matt Sarah was going to become a UFC champion in June of 2005. He had a UFC record of 4-4, four and four. he just moved back up to welterweight despite being 5'6", and lost to Carl Parisian. Then opportunity would come a knock in the form of Season 4 of The Ultimate Fighter. The theme would be comebacks. Welterweight and middleweight fighters who didn't exactly fare well in the UFC up to that point were going to get a chance at redemption, culminating in a divisional title fight for the two winners. Sarah started things off by finishing Pete Spratt in the quarters before not getting spinning back fist KO'd by Shoney Carter to make it to the live finale where he would fight Chris Lytle and earn a split decision victory and a shot at then welterweight champion George St. Pierre. Despite the wonderful comeback story of the season, there were zero delusions about the outcome of this welterweight title challenge at UFC 69. GSP was a minus 1300 favorite. The logic was that the short jiu-jitsu guy was going to be short work for the champ. St. Pierre was 13-1 at the time, his only loss coming to Matt freaking Hughes, a bout he avenged to earn the welterweight title. GSP wasn't quite the mythical creature that he is today, but he was certainly expected to stomp Sarah. Of course, that's not what happened, though. Overwhelming GSP early and often with his striking, Sarah would eventually score a TKO victory 3 minutes 25 seconds into the first, arguably the greatest upset in UFC history. And even though the fairy tale would end just a year later in the rematch, you can't ever take that night away from Matt Sarah. Number 1. Robbie Lawler I'm guessing not even Robbie Lawler thought after he left the cage at UFC 50, the final bout of his first stint in the promotion, having lost three of his last four, that a decade later he would be UFC champion. Following back-to-back -back losses to Dick Diaz and Evan Tanner in 2004, Lawler would go just about everywhere but the UFC. Super Brawl, King of the Cage, Icon Sport, the ill-fated IFL, Pride, Elite XC, where he would become the promotion's middleweight champion. Then he got to Strikeforce after having won eight with a single loss since leaving the UFC. But things did not exactly go well. He would come up short in his only title challenge, a bout against Jacare Souza. Overall, he would lose five of his eight bouts in the promotion. Then a career renaissance. Robbie left longtime Jim Militich fighting systems for American Top Team and moved back down to welterweight for the first time since 2004. Lawler would re-enter the UFC with a knockout of the night over Josh Koscheck, followed by a KO of Bobby Volker and a shocking split decision win over Rory McDonald, who was seen as the future of 170 pounds, the heir apparent to George St. Pierre himself. The three wins would see the resurgent Robbie in a title fight with Johnny Hendricks for the vacant title, a bout he would come up just short in, but he'd come too far for that to be the end. Two more big wins in a row got him another shot at Hendricks, and this time, by the narrowest of margins, after a long weird road that saw him go there and back again, Robbie Lawler had captured UFC gold, and would go on to have a few classic defenses on top of that. Sometimes MMA is truly stranger than fiction. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. All right, that's all I got for you. Thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.